Well, good morning, church. It is great to be with you. I'm one of the ministers here, Ethan Magnus, and just super glad to be with you today. If you're a guest with us today, you are in the right place as we continue our series, Setting Sail. I've been loving this series and was excited to get to it. In fact, I've been so excited to get to this series that I keep forgetting some things that I'm supposed to mention before I start my message, like two weeks behind them, some stuff, so, uh, so that I can get this done. Let's see. I've been supposed to mention, oh yeah, I know one of the things I've been supposed to mention for two weeks um, is um, we have this thing we do every year called the Barnabas Project. Um, you'll see these in your pews. They're just little uh, postcard things, and we do this every year. Uh, Barnabas was a guy from the Bible uh, who was called the son of encouragement, and we want encouragement to be a part of our church culture too. So we got these cards. We print them every year, and um, our challenge to you is to grab one and write a note of encouragement uh, for somebody. And for those of you that are under 30, in case you don't know, this little box up here is where the stamp goes. And you can actually put this in a mailbox and it will be physically taken to somebody else. It's a miracle that was invented back in the 1800s. So uh, you can check that out. Uh, so that's Barnabas, uh, the Barnabas Project. Jump on that. Let's be encouraging each other. Uh, and if we run out of note cards, we'll, we'll print more. We got tons of them. So let's do that. Uh, the other thing I was supposed to mention last week and forgot to mention uh, was we are starting our early preparations for Christmas, and one of the things that means is that our choir and orchestra have started gearing up for our kind of kickoff music extravaganza, which is the 1st of December. Uh, so if you want to be a part of that, right now is the time to jump into the choir or get in touch with Mike about being a part of the orchestra. We're going to have a kids' choir be a part of that again this year. So if you've got kids and they want to sing, uh, talk to Mike or Andrea about that, and we'll get them plugged in with that. So now is the time to be thinking about that. It'll be the first week in December for those of us who want to attend it. But if you want to be in it, now is the time to jump in and get on board uh, with that. Last thing I was supposed to mention, and this one I'm not behind on, this was for this week. Uh, you, we were talking the last couple weeks about this Women for Women service project. Uh, well, that happened yesterday. They had an awesome time. We got a picture of it, some ladies working around a table, and there's the whole group there in the corner. Uh, they just had a great time. So uh, I've had a couple people already say to me, oh, I missed it, but I, I wanted to be it. Well, what, well don't worry. They're going to do something like it again soon. Uh, if you want to connect with some other ladies in the church, that's a great way for you to do that. So be listening for the next one of those Women for Women, just a way for all the women of the church to get together and do something awesome. Um, that'll happen again someday. They had such a great time. I'm sure they'll do that again. I want to let you know about that. Well, we in this series are setting sail. As I was uh, preparing for this week's message, I uh, found my memory kept being drawn to uh, one of the first hikes we did as a family after we moved back uh, here to work at First Christian. Uh, you know, I'd grown up around Tennessee, so I knew some of the hikes, and I want to take my kids to Rock Creek Falls, one of my favorite hikes. But I confess that in my brain, I thought it was a lot shorter a hike than it was, and I hadn't budgeted quite enough time for it. And so it's one of those situations where as we're, I've, of course, I've, I've told the kids, oh, we're just going to drive down there. It's a quick little hike to a waterfall and we'll be done. And, and we get walking and we're not there and we're not there. We're not there. And, and you've done that thing, right, where you're watching the clock and the time's getting away from you, but you're just so sure it's just around the next corner, right? So you just say, okay, we're going to go a little bit farther and a, a little bit farther and a little bit farther. And so we were doing that and everybody was getting frustrated and I was frustrated and they were frustrated. And finally, I was like, that's it. 
we're going to go around the next corner, and if it's not there, we're done. And we run around the next corner, and it wasn't there, and we were done. Um, now, later, I, I got looking at a map and, and discovered that we were so close. It was not the next corner, but it was the corner after that. We were, we were less than a tenth of a mile from the falls. We had almost gotten there when we gave up. Now, just to be clear, in retrospect, I'm not regretting our choice that day. Um, it turns out on the way back, the dog broke free from its leash, and we had to chase the dog for about a mile, so we needed all the extra time we had just to track our dog down and get home alive. But, but in general, don't you just hate it when that happens? When you discover that you gave up just too soon? When you find out that you'd gotten so close and if you'd only persevered a little bit longer, you would have gotten to the place you were trying to go? Oh, it may not be a big a deal when we're hiking to a waterfall, although I don't like it much then, but it feels like this happens in life to us. I'm sure I'm not the only one who can look back and look at times when I gave up just too soon. And if only I had persevered a little bit longer. Or maybe you see it easier in others' lives. Maybe it's, it's a student who takes up a new instrument and they give up on it just when they were about to be good enough to actually play, you know, and actually enjoy the thing and have a little fun. Or somebody who gives up on a language when they were just about to make the transition from counting to conversation and actually enjoy this new skill. Or people tell me, I made some jokes about running in recent messages, people tell me the reason I don't, run a, run, don't enjoy running is I've never run long enough to get in the zone. And that if you just go long enough, you get in the zone. I'm not sure if that's what they call a heart attack these days, getting in the zone. But, but anyways, but, but that's what they say. They say the reason I don't enjoy running isn't because I've run too much. It's because I haven't run enough. And that if I would just run a little more, I would get in the zone. And I, I've never experienced that, but I'll take their word for it, that it, it's another one of those things. I feel like life is, is full of those things, those things that we, we try a little bit. We, we start out, but because we do not persevere in them, we never actually experience the fruit that God has planned for us. I think the spiritual life is like that too. I think many of us start well, but the thing we are missing that lies between us and experiencing the spiritual fruit God has for us is perseverance in our discipline and patience with our God. Malcolm Gladwell was kind of a journalist, uh, writer, guy. He did a research project that led him to conclude that it takes 10,000 hours to be great at something. If you invest in 10,000 hours into something, you'll pass a threshold of excellence that'll allow you to really contribute. I, I don't know if that's right, but something about that makes sense, right? When you, when you meet someone who's just excelling in something, when you dial into the story, you usually discover that behind that excellence is an investment, isn't it? An investment of hours upon hours upon hours upon hours. Frederick Nietzsche, a little more philosophically, uh, says this, The essential thing in heaven and in earth 
is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. There thereby results and has always resulted in the long run something which has made life worth living. Now Nietzsche was an atheist who ultimately rejected God and rejected religion, so I'm not suggesting we learn a lot from Nietzsche, but I think he's on to something here. That there needs to be in us a long obedience in the same direction. The, the wonderful, brilliant, super helpful pastor Eugene Peterson recently passed away. I don't know how many of you know that name. He was the one who wrote the transliteration, the message that maybe you've used before and wrote a lot of books on spiritual maturity and pastoral work. One of my favorite books, in fact, I think probably my favorite book of his is actually a tit- has a title based off that Nietzsche quote. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And, and he writes in that book about how everything we want from God, we receive through obedience in the same direction, except for one thing. Salvation itself is given to us. Salvation is the the immediate gift. But he writes that we sometimes get confused and think that maturity comes the same way. From the first chapter of the book, here's a little bit that he writes. One aspect of the world that I have been able to identify as harmful to Christians is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. We assume that if something can be done at all, then it can be done quickly and done efficiently. It's not difficult in such a world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel, but it is terribly difficult to sustain the interest. He concludes that section, There is a great market for religious experience in our world, but there is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. I think Peterson's on to something. I think he has identified one of the temptations of our world To think that what can be acquired quickly is all we need acquire. I think sometimes in our life of faith, we confuse our status in Christ with our stature in Christ. In fact, sometimes I'll meet people who get it exactly backwards. They think that they have to earn their salvation. They have to live up to some standard in order to be accepted by God, but that once they're accepted by God, maturity kind of comes instantly. But the opposite is true. And it's so important that for our own spiritual lives and as we communicate with others that we learn how to communicate this clearly. Our status as God's children is a free gift from God. For those who have trusted in God. And nothing you can do or I can do can add to the power of God's grace to accomplish our status as God's children. 
saved and redeemed, justified. But our stature, our maturity in Christ, our growth in Christ, that God always accomplishes as a partnership between God's Spirit and our discipline, our submission, our persistence, our patience. Paul writes about this to the Galatian church. In Galatians chapter 2, speaking about their status, he writes, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law no one is justified. Our status in Christ is a gift from God, given by Christ's power. But look at what he says in Galatians chapter 6. Do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own flesh will harvest decay and death from that flesh. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul is not talking about our status as saved people, for nothing we do can add to that. He is talking about our stature of spiritual maturity. And for that, he says you can't give up. You can't give up Doing right is that what is right. For that, we need a long obedience in the same direction. There is no quick fix for spiritual fruit. We've been talking about sailing in this series, recognizing that the process of spiritual maturity is a bit like sailing. The power we need is beyond us. It's the power of God's Spirit but nevertheless, we have a responsibility to raise the sails of our life and invite the work of God's Spirit. We've said we don't control the wind. The power is God's, but we do set the sails and wait expectantly for God to work. When I was a kid, I was a Boy Scout and signed up to get my sailing merit badge. And so we went out to Watauga Lake five or six Saturdays in a row and had this guy teach us how to sail out there on Watauga Lake. Third day on the lake, we were starting to feel pretty good, like we kind of knew what we were doing. We were ready to sail. There were four of us, four scouts on the boat with this one old timer who was teaching us what to do. And we got out there in the middle of the lake and we were ready and there was no wind. So, you know, we did what we had to do. We raised the sails and we adjusted the ropes and we had somebody at the tiller and there was no wind. One of us asked the guy who owned the boat, what do we do if there's no wind? And he very calmly said, oh, don't worry. There's always wind eventually. The wind always comes. So we waited. And he was right. There was eventually a flutter of wind, not enough to really fill the sail, but we could see it moving a little bit. Somebody asked, well, what do we do if there isn't much wind? He said, well, you raise the sails and you go slow. That was not the answer this group of 12 to 14-year-olds was looking for. 
We weren't looking for the raise the sails and go slow answer. We were looking for the how do we still go super fast even when the wind doesn't blow very hard answer. That's what we wanted. But that's not the way sailing works, and it's not the way spiritual formation works either. Spiritual formation depends on our patience with the work of the Spirit of God and our persistence to stay disciplined even when God is taking longer than we hoped. Spiritual formation depends on our patience with the power of God's Spirit and our persistence to stay faithful even when God's Spirit is taking longer than we'd hoped. I told you, I promised really, that this series would be super practical, and I'm going to try and keep that promise. So although our general theme here is this principle of persistence and patience with the Spirit of God, I do want to talk about two particular disciplines that really depend on our patience and our persistence. Disciplines that I'm worried you might have given up on because they didn't work fast enough and you went looking for some microwave discipline that doesn't really exist. The two disciplines I want to talk about are ones that matter from the very beginning, but they matter most when we are patient and persistent. I want to talk real briefly about the discipline of Sabbath and the discipline of prayer. Sabbath is an interesting discipline for Christians to connect with. It had been, in Old Testament times, it had been a law for the people. Part of the rhythm of creation itself, one day every week, pulling away from work to dedicate that day to worship and trust in God. It was a law in the Old Testament day. Over time, the laws related to Sabbath kind of grew up around it. Laws, you couldn't start a fire and you couldn't feed an animal and you could only walk a certain number of miles. But the principle of the law stayed the same. A day set aside from normal productivity, set aside from normal busyness to remind us that we are God's creation. We are God's children. If God could rest one day, so can we. And we can rest precisely because God is in control. Then Jesus does the most fascinating thing with the Sabbath. Jesus removes it as a law and gives it back as a gift. It's the most fascinating thing. Jesus does this with lots of Old Testament laws. He declares that now in me the law is fulfilled. He declares that I have satisfied the requirements of the law on your behalf. He himself breaks Sabbath laws repeatedly in his ministry. And when he gets called out by it, he says, Don't you know the Sabbath was given not for God, but for humans? It was given for us. He does this wonderful thing. He takes away the Sabbath as a law and gives it back as a gift. Unfortunately, many of us, excited, I suppose, that it's been removed as a law, we just decide to ignore it. And consequently, we are refusing, we are missing the very gift Christ has for us. 
Some of us uh, instead do the opposite. We revert back to legalism. I know people who want to get legalistic about the Sabbath, and you know it has to be just like this, and it has to look like this, and if you don't do it exactly right, you're doing it wrong, and you're breaking the Ten Commandments. Well, you go read Colossians. Paul has some pretty strong words for people who want to turn the Sabbath into a law again. But just because it's not a law, don't miss the gift of Sabbath-keeping. The gift of Sabbath-keeping, of saying, okay, as a family or as a, as a person, we're going to make sure one day of our week is dedicated to God and to worship and to rest. We're not going to let uh, work crowd in to this day. We're going to keep this day set apart and holy. The gift of that rhythm is the gift of a life-oriented toward God. The gift of that rhythm is the gift of a life of growing trust in God. I know Sabbath doesn't look the same for everybody. Uh, my, it's hard for me to really call Sunday my Sabbath. I work long days on Sundays. My Sabbath is from noon on Friday to noon on Saturday. 24 hours, set apart. I pray. I hang out with my family. I go to high school football games. That's sort of like worship. You know how it is, right? You know? I sleep in a little bit. I'm grateful to God. I read God's Word in a different way on Saturdays mornings than I do any other time, just really for me and God. Maybe your Sabbath would be to find a local church and worship there every week or make fellowship with other Christians a part of your Sunday routine or something like that. Here's what I know about Sabbath. Sabbath isn't a magic pill. It's not like you do Sabbath once and you fixed everything. The power of Sabbath is in patience and persistence, a long obedience in the same direction. Let me say a word about prayer. Say a word about prayer. I think a lot of us kind of instinctually go to prayer in times of crisis, in times of urgency. For most of my life, I have known how to go to God with prayers of begging. And God loves those prayers and God honors those prayers. God, those prayers are fruitful. God hears us when we cry. But for most of my life, I didn't know how to persist in prayer. Apart from the moment of crisis, apart from the moment of urgency, I didn't know how to persist in prayer, how to stay in prayer, how to persist over days, and how to, even in the moment, I, sometimes I would, for a lot of my life, I would have a prayer list, and I didn't know, I mean, how fast can you get through a list of 100 names? I can do it pretty fast. You'd be impressed. I'm a fast talker, you know, and I didn't know how to stay there. And then, I, since I, in my attempt to pray longer, I would, you know, I would want to spend more time with God, I would, I would just come up with more words. I would pray these flowery, elaborate prayers like I was some sort of religious performance artist trying to impress God with how articulate I was. And I just didn't know how to stay in prayer. I want to tell you two things that have really helped me stay in prayer. Uh, the first, I'm not embarrassed by and it's been moderately helpful the second thing i'm going to tell you about i'm a little bit embarrassed by but it's been super helpful and so on the off chance that it's helpful for you i'm going to risk being a little bit embarrassed 
One thing that's really helped me stay in prayer and persist in prayer, like to spend 15, 20 minutes in prayer. I know for some of you that's easy, but for a lot of us that's really hard. One thing that's helped me just stay in prayer is to use written prayers that other people wrote. I started using the Psalms, and I've used the Book of Common Prayer. I've used modern prayer books. It really helps me. I just read them really slow. Sometimes I'll come to a sentence that I don't agree with. I'll be like, actually, forget it, God. I'm not praying that sentence. That's crazy. But I'll come to another sentence I never would have thought of. I'm like, oh, man, God, that's exactly what I needed to pray. So written prayers have really helped me. And if you're looking for how to get started staying in prayer, how to persist in prayer and be patient in prayer and develop a daily rhythm of prayer that lasts longer than the current crisis but keeps you in God's Word, a book of prayers might help you do that. Here's the other thing that's just helped me tremendously. About eight or nine years ago, I I realized that I was a beginner in prayer. I knew all the right things to say, but my own personal prayer life was the prayer life of a child. And I wanted to mature in prayer, but I wanted to start where I was and not pretend anymore. I wanted a real prayer life. So I, I was at a retreat on prayer, and they had a bunch of books, and I picked up, picked up this book called Praying in Color. And it's a coloring book. And I'm going to tell you about it. And I'm a little embarrassed. But doggone it, if it has not built my relationship with God in so many amazing ways over the last eight or nine years. The method of prayer is really simple. It's just a way to stay in prayer. Um, I start by putting four squiggly lines on a page, and then I write the word for the first thing I want to pray about. When I get started, it looks like this. So that's my wife. Let's say I'm praying for my wife. This was, I did this last night. I, I made it as a sample for you, but I also prayed through it. Four squiggly lines on a sheet of paper, makes a little box. I write the first word. And then what I do is I just grab a colored pen and I very slowly color in the box. And while I very slowly color in the box, I'll just say, you know, maybe I have a specific prayer. She's had a little bit of a cold lately, so God, please cure Betsy's cold. Or maybe I'll just pray generally, God, may your will be done. Would you just do something in her life? Would you just be with her? Maybe I'll run out of words and I won't have words. I just want to kind of stay in prayer for a little longer with God about my beloved wife. And so I'll just color in silence. I don't color it in fast. I color it in super slow. When I finish the box, if I've got more to pray, I guess I'll write her name in another box and I'll keep coloring. But if I'm ready to pray about the next thing, I'll, I'll draw another line to make another box and Last night, we, uh, I was getting a bunch of emails about people in the hospital, and so I prayed for some people in the hospital. You can see what that looks like. I just made a little plus sign like they do in emergency rooms, you know, and I just real slowly colored it in. I knew the names of some of the people I was praying for. I didn't know the names of everybody I was praying for. I got a couple text messages of friends of friends, people in the hospital, a lady who just had a baby, and I was praying for her, and so I just real slow, just, just keeps me in prayer, and I just stay there, and maybe I'll think of words to say, and maybe I won't. And I'll just say, God, would you just take care of it? And I'll call it real slow. Almost every time I do one of these, I draw a little plant um, real slow. That's how I pray for my own spiritual growth. You know, we've talked about it. There's something organic about spiritual growth, you know. We can't really control it. And so I just, God, would you help me grow up and give me fruit and all that? And almost every one of these I do has a little plant. Um, not all the time, but every one. And then it just goes on like that. Here I, 
Uh, this is the last picture I took of the one I did last night. You'll see by now I've added both my boys. And I just add a line and add a box. I'll pray for programs in the church. I'll pray for people I know. I'll pray for people on my list. And listen, if you're sitting out there thinking, boy, that's silly, you get no argument from me. It's silly. All I know is, with this, I can sit with my God in prayer for as long as I want to. Uh, prayer isn't about me figuring out the right words. Uh, my God is not a grumpy boss that I'm trying to convince to help me out. My God is a loving Father, and I'm trying to share my heart with my loving Father. And boy, this helps me. It keeps me simple. It makes me feel like a child, but I ought to feel like a child when I'm praying to my Heavenly Father, I think. It gives me patience in my prayer because I've got a little something to do, you know. So if you're, some of you are like, do I have to have, you know, 12 different colors of pens? No, I do this with pen. If I, if I don't have colored pens with me, I did that just to be easy to see, but I'll do it with just a pencil sometimes, you know. Just slowly shade it in. Gives me time. Do you need to do this? Is this biblical? No and no. But what you do need is to recognize that the power of prayer is not just in the immediate, the prayer of crisis where we shout out to God. The power of prayer is in persistence and patience. Sometimes the wind blows slow. And when the wind blows slow, our human nature makes us look around for some other way. We're like, okay, maybe now it's time to get out the oars and start paddling. Or maybe somebody will come by with a motor and strap it on. And God says, no. The power for your spiritual transformation is my spirit. You raise the sails. And you wait. You raise the sails. And you wait. Close with me if you would with a prayer from Psalm 33. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance despite all its strength. It cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those, who hope, on those whose hope is His unfailing love, to deliver them from death, to keep them alive in famine. Lord, hear our prayer. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May Your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.